Thank God today. This is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. And once again, we're just so thankful. We're delighted. We're just so honored that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to join this Truth Matters podcast. And today we're going to be getting into a very important topic. Before we get into our topic, as our custom is, we want to pause and pray. Now, Father God, we thank you once again for your abundant love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your healing virtue. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your faithfulness that has been dispensed unto us. We give your name glory and honor because we know, Lord God, you can do anything but fail. We thank you today that you've called us children. We thank you you've called us the beloved. We thank you that you've made us members of your royal priesthood family. And in this, we're glad. We thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your, Lord, your arms that are ever, 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 ever arching over our lives. And we give your name glory today. You let someone's life be changed. Let someone lay a hold to your word. Let them stand firm in your principles that they may know how to order their steps afresh. Let someone be saved. Let someone's life be transformed. Let someone be energized and motivated to serve you in a more sincere way today. It is in Christ Jesus' name we pray. And today we're going to be getting into a very important topic. And the topic we're going to be sharing today is the truth about leadership. The truth about spiritual and the truth about leadership. Now today we're going to examine and cover vital principles beloved concerning leadership. And I believe today if it's anything that we need in the world, we need good leadership. You see, God in his master plan for mankind, God designed leaders, didn't he? And he also put forth the qualifications of leaders to do what? To build, to strengthen, to equip every facet and echelon in this creation that he has made. From the very tiny ant to the largest well, God has placed leaders in place. We see God's purpose and we see his plan and his pattern is revealed through leaders, aren't they? I'm I'm a proponent and advocate. I really love nature programs. And when I watch nature programs and I study so many aspects and so many characters within nature, I study insects and animals. I see that there is structure and there's order that exists within those paradigms. Think about ant colonies. They consist of millions of ants and they have a queen ant, don't they? And so it is with bees. There's a queen bee who leads and directs the direction, the location, and even the vitality of the hive. I watch in the sky as it goes from from spring to fall and fall to winter. Geese, they fly thousands of miles during those migrations with each geese and each goose. They take turns as they make these thousand mile journeys. They take turns being leaders to share the responsibility of leading during those long journeys across the country. Think about buffalo herds. They elect multiple leaders and they elect multiple leaders to ensure that the vitality and the survival of the herd will be intact. Think about wolves. They have packs and in those packs they have alpha males and they lead the pack. We see the same dynamic in lion kings and we also see even when butterflies are mostly solitary. But what do they do? 
they join large groups during their national and international migrations. Monkeys and horses and most mammals have an alpha male and a hierarchy of leadership. When you look at fish, there are thousands and millions of fish in schools and they have self-organizing and function and synchronization for the overall survival of the majority of the school. You see, beloved, the pattern is our God-ordained leaders in nature and he also ordained leaders in society and most importantly in his church. Now many listening today may want to be a leader. There are so many people who have aspirations and a desire to be a great leader. It may be for your family. You might want to be a leader in your job, in your community. You might even want to be a leader in on a sports team, let's say. You might want to be a leader in so many different genres, even political affiliations. We're going to touch on so many characteristics and qualities that are involved and that are essential to be a good leader. First, if you want to be a leader, you must learn to be what? A person of influence. Now, what do we mean by influence? Influence is achieved by demonstrated example. What did you say, Pastor Adams? Demonstrated example. Also, reliability, integrity, having genuine concern and having proper priority, utilizing wisdom, patience, and here's a word that we don't use often, flexibility. You see, leaders must dismiss personal desires. What did you say, Pastor Adams? Leaders, they must dismiss personal desires. See, the root of your interest in leadership, it can't be about how you benefit from leadership at all. See, some people are narcissistic in their approach and their desires. So many people have bloated egos. They have personal appeasement agendas. They have desires for self-aggrandizement as their focus and as their aim. But hear me, all of those things must be dismissed and placed under the blood of Jesus Christ if you're going to be an effective leader. You see, great leaders have this characteristic. What is that? They act instead of talk. See, there are so many people who talk the talk without walking the walk, and they become poor examples, devoid of respect from others, and are doomed as being effective leaders. You can't just talk, but you have to act. John Maxwell, in his renowned book, The 21 Indispensable Qualities of Leaders, he illumines the imperatives that are associated with being a great leader. And if you want to be a great leader, I want you to tap in and lay a hold. Now, these principles are applicable to any category, genre, or endeavor in our life. If you desire to have success as you lead in your home, if you want to lead a department, If you want to lead a business or a corporation, if you want to be a leader of a team, if you want to lead a city as a mayor or a county, or you want to be a school professional board or an agency, lead a council, or if you want to lead a church or anything else, you need to be a qualified leader. Now, Pastor Adams, what are some of those indispensable qualities that a leader must have? Well, I'm going to list them. The first one is you must have character. You must have commitment. You must auto- automatically utilize communication. 
You must have competence and courage, discipline, discernment, generosity. You must also have initiative. You must be a good listener. You must have passion, positive attitude. You must be good at problem solving. You must be good at building relationships and having and taking and holding on to responsibility. You must have security in yourself. You must have a spirit of servanthood and you must be teachable. And lastly, you must have a vision. Now, I remember during my 20 years in the military, I spent 17 and a half and a half of those years as an NCO or a non-commissioned officer. And we lived by a creed and a motto. The motto was, you can't tell what you don't know and you sure can't lead where you won't go. Say it again. You can't tell what you don't know and you sure can't lead where you won't go. And the creed contained these words. Here's the creed of the non-commissioned officer. It says that no one is more professional than I. I'm a non-commissioned officer, a leader of soldiers. And as a non-commissioned officer, I realize that I'm a member of a time-honored course, which is known as the backbone of the Army. I'm proud of the course of non-commissioned officers, and I will all times conduct myself as to bring credit upon the corps, the military service, and my country. Regardless of the situation in which I find myself, I will not use my greater position to attain pleasure, profit, or personal safety. Listen, competence is my watchword. My two basic responsibilities will always be the uttermost in my mind. Accomplishment of my mission and the welfare of my soldiers. I will strive to remain tactically and tactically and technically proficient. I'm aware of my role as a non-commissioned officer. I will fulfill my responsibilities inherent to that role. All soldiers are entitled to outstanding leadership. I will provide that leadership. I know my soldiers and I will always place their needs above my own. I will communicate consistently with my soldiers and never leave them uninformed. I will be fair and impartial when recommending both rewards and punishment. Officers will, in my unit will have maximum time to accomplish their duties. They will not have to accomplish mine. I will earn their respect and confidence as well as that of my soldiers. I will be loyal to those whom I serve, seniors, peers, and subordinates alike. I will exercise initiative by taking appropriate action in the absence of orders. I will not compromise my integrity nor my moral courage. I will not forget, nor will I allow my comrades to forget that we are professionals, non-commissioned officers, leaders. Now, when I parallel leadership principles in the military or in corporate America or secular brands, I see that the core leadership qualities are derived from biblical tenets. Do you hear me? Now let's look at Jesus. He was the epitome of character, wasn't he? He was the epitome of commitment, communications, competence, courage, discipline, discernment, generosity, initiative, listening, passion, positive attitude, problem solving, relationships, responsibility, security, servanthood, teachability, and vision. And when you study the lives of the apostles, such as Paul, Peter, James, Philip, John, Matthew, and those who comprise the Faith Hall of Fame listed in Hebrews 11, they all possess the same qualities of leadership. 
Now, when you look at scripture, we see a powerful lesson in leadership that is underscored in the book of Numbers, the 11th chapters, the 1st to the 21st, 25th verse. Now, when we look at this passage, Moses had over 600,000 children of Israel who were surging in the wilderness as the people began to complain. The Bible says God sent fire into the camp. Now, what was happening here? They were going through the wilderness, 600,000 of them. But soon as the people began to complain, God in response sent fire into the camp. Now, Moses was a great leader. And he interceded for them and God quenched the fire. Then some that were mixed among them began to murmur and caused the people to lust after flesh. And then they began to complain about the manna that God purposely provided to them. Why did God give them manna instead of flesh to eat? Here's the reason. You see, God was purging them from the former appetites that they developed in Egypt. God's people and the people of God, they gathered manna and made it into what eventually tasted like oil. The people said that they were in Egypt and they had all types of melons and meat and fish and they had delicious flesh every day. Here we see that leaders have to deal with people who become selfish and they also become carnal and eventually they become ungrateful. You want to be a leader, put your seatbelts on, strap them in. See, Moses was so displeased that he complained to God. And in his complaining, he asked God something that was amazing. He asked God, why did you make me a leader of these hard-headed, complaining, and unruly people? Moses was so tired of the responsibility of leading these people, he asked God to do something that was shocking. What did he ask God? He said, God, just kill me. Yes, take my life. I don't want to live no more. So what's the nugget that I'm sharing with you today in my listening audience? Leadership improperly embraced will cause great mental and emotional harm. So many people want to be a leader who's in charge, but they don't want to carry the weight that accompanies that leadership. Did you hear what I said? Some people, they want to have authority and they want to be in charge, but they don't want to carry the weight that accompanies that leadership. God saw that burnout and stress that came into Moses' life as a leader. And he told Moses to gather unto himself 70 men of elders whom thou know to be elders among the people and are already officers over them. What did God do here? God selects leaders based upon what they are already doing before they have a title or authority. Run that by me again. You see, God told Moses to gather unto him 70 men of the elders whom thou knowest already operating as elders among the people and are already operating as officers over them. 
That's why I said God selects leaders based upon what they are already doing before they have a title or authority. See, I find it interesting that during military promotions, orders read this way. This is what they say. Sergeant Adams, based upon your demonstrated ability to perform at the next highest rank, we promote you to the following rank. You see, our Lord is looking for leaders who are in love with serving God's people and not just the processes. God uses leaders who aren't just idle, who are lazy, twiddling their thumbs and operating dormantly, but he's looking for those who are willing to work and hold up the hands of God's primary leader and the vision that God has given him for his purpose. God told Moses to bring the 70 with him. He says, and you bring the 70 with you to the tabernacle that they may stand with you. Then I will come down and I'll take the spirit that is upon you and I'm going to put it upon them and they will bear the burden of the people so that you don't have to bear it alone. When you get into a place of God, when you are ready and you're committed to be a leader, God will always give you help. God always has a ram in the bush. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Leaders must be in alignment with God and their so-called and their God-called leader. Say that again. Leaders must be in alignment with their God and their called leader to execute the assignment that God has for them. God did not say as a result that all the people will grow up and become mature and submissive, follow, submissive followers of God and Moses' vision, but the leaders would share the load of dealing with the complaining, dealing with the ungrateful and the self-seeking rebellious people. Do you want to be a leader so you can have power and position over people? Are you desiring position or promotion just to add to your spiritual or your church or your administrative resume so you can get more acclaim and you can get shine from other people? Are you going to, you see, when you do this, you are going to fail as a qualified leader that is sent by God because you're seeking leadership and promotion and position with the wrong motive. I remember Pastor Tolan Morgan here in Georgia, he noted that God calls his people children. He calls his covenant people, he said that they are children of Israel. The New Testament calls us sons and daughters and the children of God. Yes, we are adopted into his royal family, but we are called sheep and children. What does that indicate? It indicates that we are too often immature and we're spiritually dumb. We're just babies needing milk. We require a burping towel. We need our diapers changed. We need to be uh, uh, burped so that we can vomit and we need to have our vomit wiped up. We require constant care and attention and we need tending and leaders need patience to raise God's children. See, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, didn't he? And then when Peter responded, he loved, he responded that he did love him. And his love was indicated by God saying, you must feed his sheep and his lambs. You see, real leaders love and sacrifice all to care for the sheep and for God's children. I remember Pastor Rab, he was a humble and sincere preacher who I assisted in Germany. We were 
in uh, Babenhausen, Germany. And in his anguish and frustration in not seeing the church grow, he asked me one cold German night as we were sitting in the church, he asked me, what did I think was the problem? And what was the reason that the church was not growing? And Pastor Rapp, he loved the church. And I remember Pastor Rapp had just had a son. He had his first son and Pastor Rapp loved that son so much. The son was about six months old and every chance he had, he was holding his baby. He loved his son so much. I remember they were inseparable. So much so that he would even hold his son and he would preach while he was holding his son. He had the microphone in one hand and hold his son with the other hand, even from the pulpit. I marveled at the bond and the love that he had for that baby. I asked Pastor Rev if after he asked me the question about why the church wasn't growing, I asked Pastor Rev if we were called to deploy into combat and he has to leave his son with someone other than his wife, who would that be? I asked how important of a decision would it be for him? Would he let me or someone else select anybody to just keep his son? He said, no way. And I asked him why. He explained that those who would raise, influence, or care for his son, that would be a very crucial decision and that it had to be the best, the highest caliber of person, the person that was totally committed with character, love, and priority and dedication to his son. I said, well, if you, Pastor Rab, as a human father, won't allow just anyone to raise, care, and influence your son, well, God loves his kids way more than you love yours or any other human father loves their kids. So God is much more discriminant of who feeds and cares or raises his children. If we don't love children and we don't love sheep and we don't love babies, those who are of God's vineyard, he will not plant children and babies and add them to our churches. He's looking for leaders who love the babies. Now let's get back to complaining children, children that were in Israel. God decided that since the people wanted to pray, wanted and prayed for flesh instead of eating the manna that he designed for them, that he's going to give them flesh, seeing that they were ungrateful and they longed for the flesh that they ate during their bondage in Egypt. You see, God was disturbed that people who he delivered from bondage and he delivered from despair were having emotional fascinations about their old life and their old manners and their old lifestyle when they were in the world. They forgot about the bondage and the oppression and the separation that they experienced while they were in Egypt. And they only thought about it. They were reminiscing about the pleasures that sin that they had for a season when they were in the world living in Egypt. See, God demonstrates that we should be very careful what we ask for. God said, I won't feed you flesh for just one day or just two or three days or even five days. But since you asked me for flesh instead of the manna that I desired for you, I'm going to give you flesh for a month. I'm going to feed you so much flesh until it comes out of your nostrils. You're going to want to throw up. You're going to gag on the flesh. We as people think that we can just play tootsie with sin. 
but it will start as a flicker. And when you play around with sin, it's going to turn into a tidal wave. It's going to start for a flicker and it's going to turn into a raging fire, destroying everything that's in your life. We were saved from fornication. We were saved from adultery. God, through his leadership, he saved us from backbiting and through idolatry and saved us from cursing and getting high and having drunken parties and cussing like a sailor. And then we long for the fun. We long for the pleasure of sin that we were once bound with. The Bible declares that all of a man's life is for his belly, but yet he's never filled or satisfied. It also says that the people don't follow God because they want his power. They don't follow God because they want his face. They don't follow God because they want his love. They want they follow God because they want what's in his hands. They don't follow him because they want his deliverance or his posture, but they want what he has in his hands. They want the barley loaves. We, they want what they can be fed with. They want to see what they can gain materialistically, socially. They want to see what can happen and how God can make them successful in their business, make them successful as, as they pursue life's entrapments. We are a barley loaf generation. See, leaders in the church must be leaders in service. What did you say? I said leaders in the church must be leaders in service. They must be leaders in prayer. They must be leaders in worship. Why? Because worship keeps you grounded and it keeps you grounded in priority and purpose. It keeps you focused and prepared for service. There are too many leaders who don't worship. They're not present during prayer. They're not present during worship. They don't participate in fasting and denials, but primarily they seek the allure and the authority and they seek the spotlight. When you don't worship, you only focus on duty and the work of leadership. There's a big difference between those who do a job out of duty than those who do it from a heartfelt service unto God and his people. When you are empowered by God's spirit and worship, you will be a giant in character commitment, communication, competence, courage, discipline, discernment, generosity, initiative, listening, passion, having a positive attitude, problem solving, building relationships, seizing responsibility, being secure in yourself, having a servanthood spirit, being teachable, and having a vision from God as you lead the people of God. Now this is the truth about leadership. God bless you in Jesus' name.